Hello, and welcome to Catalyst, Travel and Purpose podcast. Today, we'll be talking to Lorena Gomez Ramirez about her work in Colombia and her conscious travel project, Inspire. Catalyst is the online platform about social action and travel. These podcasts are a series of conversations about social impact and travel. I'm Eden Flaherty, and I'm going to be your host. Hello, Lorena. Welcome to Travel and Purpose. Hello, Aiden. Good morning here. Ah, good afternoon from here. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to join. Of course. So let's start off by talking a little bit about you. You're what's described as a conscious travel designer. Can you explain what exactly this means? Well, I guess that starts by being firstly a conscious traveler, which means that I always like to connect to people wherever I go and try to find the wisdom every place and every person has to share with you, and also try to look for ways in which I can leave something in the places I visit. So this is basically the same concept applied to the travel side design, in which I see an education opportunity through experience and through immersion in nature and with different cultures. What is your background, and what prompted you to found, inspire, and organize trips? I hold a major in anthropology, And it all started back in university when I did my fieldwork with indigenous communities in the Amazon basin. We worked in indigenous intercultural education projects and public policy. So since then, I've been traveling around the country, working with different tribes, several initiatives related to mainly cultural knowledge, handcrafts, agriculture, and supporting their traditional wisdom and traditional medicine. So I got very inspired by the message they have of connection with nature. They really provided me with a lot of new perspectives that you don't learn at school, but which are very useful for daily life and for taking good decisions. So I got inspired by them to share this message. And with time, I realized it wasn't enough just to talk about them but it was way better to actually take people with them because it's a completely different experience once you immerse in their territories and you can feel the nature, you can actually detach from any digital (laughs) influence you can have. And when you realize money is not everything because there's food from nature, you can take your masks off and truly be who you are. I'm really inspired by bringing people together promoting cross-cultural dialogue, because I feel that's a way of reducing racism and stereotypes, and also promoting human oneness. So that's basically how it happened. And also, I've been a tour guide since 2012. So that experience showed me the power of storytelling. I realized that can change the world more than politics can. So that's why I decided to combine these two worlds between like my anthropological background with indigenous communities and then all these tourism dynamics because I was meeting a lot of clients and many of them were executive leaders who were actually very interested in getting new perspectives of the world and for themselves as human beings. Fantastic. That sounds like a great combination, that kind of academic anthropological background with the experience in tourism as well. So can you tell me a little about Colombia in general, the landscape, the culture, etc.? 
Sure. To start with, Colombia is the second most biodiverse country on the planet. It has 91 different ecosystems because we have the Andes mountain range that comes through South America, but it splits into three in Colombia. So that gives a lot of different altitudes and a variety of ecosystems because we're in the tropics. So it's always green. <laughs> I must say that we don't have any seasons, just to be clear. We do have rainy seasons, but that's it. We also have access to the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. We have from snow-caped mountains to deserts to jungles, 41% of Colombia is Amazon rainforest. So that even gives us the title of being, <laughs> I remember once National Geographic wrote, if Earth's biodiversity were a country, it could be called Colombia. That's how amazingly biodiverse it is because we have the biggest number of birds and orchids species in the world. On the cultural side, Colombia is a very big country, bigger than you look on the map. It's divided into different regions that are completely different in cultural terms. We have many countries in one, and that includes ethnic minorities that are Afro-Colombian. There's several indigenous tribes and also Romani gypsies. I would say the main characteristic of Colombians is our hospitality and charm. That's what people and travelers appreciate the most. However, the country has faced an internal conflict for the last 60 years that has taken 220,000 lives and 8 million victims. And this is mainly due to fights between guerrilla communist groups, paramilitary groups that came to defend landowners and trade, and of course, the Colombian army. They've all been involved and affected mainly rural areas where these guerrillas used to hide and do their trafficking. Not only them, but they support the drug routes that go out from the country. So this has been a very remarkable aspect of Colombia's history. That's why we haven't had enough tourism during the last decades, only till now, after the peace agreement with FARC guerrilla was signed in 2016, in which they gave up arms, they formed a political party, and now they are living in transition base camps while they are reincorporated into society. And that has brought a lot more safety. And there's still some spots, I'm not going to say just because you sign a document, everything's okay now. There's many more safety areas. There are some places in which we know we shouldn't go because there's still something going on with local criminal bands that are linked to drug traffic. But for the rest, this is a meaningful change for us because it opened the country again for Colombians and for the world. There were natural areas that weren't accessible before and which now are. So these are all the places that we're exploring and which we're looking forward to supporting with different initiatives that are sustainable and that can provide local jobs. You mentioned previously about working with indigenous communities. Can you tell us about some of the problems they face in Colombia? One thing that's important to clarify is that Colombia doesn't have something like the legacy of a big empire like the Aztecs, the Incas, or the Mayas were. But historically, there were many different groups spread around these lands that coexisted. And nowadays, Indigenous people represent 4.4% of Colombia's population. They're around 
almost 2 million people, and there's 115 tribes. They suffered slavery for a long time. There's been an evolution of their rights, which had its main point with 1991 constitution that recognized them as adults and people capable of taking their own decisions, because before that, they were treated as savages, as uncivilized people, and as minors. So they always needed to have a patron. That's the reason why they were enslaved. For instance, in the Amazon rainforest, they were enslaved for rubber extraction. So now they still suffer systematic racism on the first place. And secondly, many of them have been affected by the armed conflict because they live in many remote natural areas. And these are places where either drug trafficking or oil extraction or mining extraction projects are happening around. So there's a big stake in regards to who owns the land. And you can see them defending the places they live, trying to keep nature and to keep their traditions alive. However, it's amazing how they've survived throughout all these years. I must say it's remarkable how they've been resilient. They've appropriated their own rights because many of them decided to study law and they kind of understood the Western system, at least the Colombian law system, and use it in their favor. And since the 1960s, there's been a big indigenous civil movement that claimed their rights and which is now very strong and protective. And that helps them strive now as much as they can, because it is clear for everyone that it's good to have things on the paper, but bringing them to reality needs a lot of work. One of the ways that you work with indigenous communities is by bringing travelers into the Guambia Reserve region. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. I first arrived to Guambia Reserve when I was working in an NGO in a project, and we went there to support some shamans. And I was completely stunned by the mountains over there. This is in southwestern Colombia. The place is full of lagoons and lakes in Paramo ecosystems, which are something similar to Thundra, but different. The place is amazing. People are lovely, very welcoming, and very soft in their manners. Misak have a very strong culture still alive. and They keep the language, which is Namrik. One thing that will surprise you and which surprises travelers in general, is men wear skirts, same as women, and they are very colorful and they wear bright colors. So when you arrive to the place, that's a very stunning image that kind of warms the heart. And something I admire about them is that they peacefully reoccupy their land. So they are an example of dialogue, of peace, and how cultural identity is key for survival and to know who you are in the midst of the contemporary world. They do face some challenges. There's war happening not far away, but they have managed to keep their reserve safe because they never allowed coca crops to happen inside their reserve, which is very big. That has kept them safe for the last years. They have these traditional healers that know a lot about medicine plants and how to stabilize you and bring back balance to people and to nature I really felt compelled by them and thought people should just go to that place. They should know it. So I've been working with them for the last three years and only started to bring tourists until the last year because I had this different way of working. 
with community-based tourism. I first prefer to do a lot of field work and reflection together around the fire, thinking on what's the purpose on creating a project of this kind and what does it mean to bring people there. And actually, in our conversations, the word tourism has been questioned because they don't want to do tourism as we know it. They don't want to be exoticized. They don't want to feel like pieces of a museum, but instead create a sort of exchange with people who arrive there and have mutual understanding and mutual learning. This has been a long previous work, which is now taking shape to go out in public. So we've had a couple of clients before, and now I'm currently structuring the social venture in order to go out in market. These trips are part of your project Inspire. Can you tell us about that project in general, what it does and why? I created a travel agency before, co-founded it. But then since last year, I decided to work as an independent travel curator and tour guide because my vision of the kind of travels I wanted to do and the kind of public travelers I wanted to bring was evolving. And now Inspire is the new version of my social venture. I tailor expeditions that are immersive into offbeat places in Colombia, mainly indigenous communities. These expeditions last a week or more because it has this philosophy of slow travel. So the idea is to have quality time, meaningful conversations and humane encounters between indigenous communities, the travelers, um, even and other groups also participate there. I also work with farmers, former combatants, Afro communities. The whole idea is to show the untold stories of Colombia and create travel opportunities to the southern part of Colombia because tourism has been very much focused on the northern area of the country. Most of itineraries go from Bogota to the coffee region and then Cartagena. But I'm looking to promote these other areas that have a lot to give, always from the perspective of promoting reconnection with nature and of realizing that our differences are not as important as what we have in common. These are expeditions for adventurers and even for executive leaders who are facing burnout and who would like to seek for wisdom. Many of these elders in indigenous communities have. What do you believe we are seeking when we travel? What kind of learning are we looking for beyond just leisure? I believe everybody deep inside is looking for personal growth, for gaining new perspectives of the world, gaining clarity once you go back home. Travel allows you to become a better person. After you gain a bigger picture of reality, after you realize how people decide to be resilient, strong, and happy at the same time to survive, so it makes you appreciate you have back at home. And either if we're conscious of that or not, I think it does have an impact. But I believe many of us look for freedom. And it's not just the freedom of going outside, but the freedom that new ideas give you once you're back. So I believe possibly after this lockdown, people are going to be even more conscious about this search for human connection and expansion of our minds, but mainly of our hearts. You describe yourself as beyond being an anthropologist. You see yourself as an explorer of mountains, jungles, and ancient cultures, a storyteller, and a listener. Can you tell us more about what you mean by this? Absolutely. Yeah. I think we are 
much more than our career. That's why I see myself beyond anthropology. That's a tool I have that has provided me with perspectives, with ways of understanding the world and mainly understanding humans. But we are our journey on Earth. That's how I see it. Beyond that, I see myself as a hiker, as someone who walks life and who has learned to listen. That's why I love stories. I love the lessons life stories give you from different people from all walks of life and really sharing with these indigenous communities and mainly with wise elders has taught me how to listen because this is an ability we normally don't have nowadays in the world, but is really important to make silence and to listen mainly to elder generations that have a lot to share with us because youth are not going to come up with solutions out from nowhere. So that's the listening side. And then all these stories that I've heard, I've started to write them down or translate them in through public speaking, through these kind of podcasts, because I think there's lessons for life there. So, so yeah, but I mainly like to create these encounters to give voice to these untold stories of these people. I like them to tell their own stories. Also, I think that's a healing process that helps them understand who they are and tell their story to themselves first and then tell it to other people. But where that cannot be done, I like to bring out all these other realities and tell them to the world so as to remember the kind of planet we live in and how we're all interconnected. A lot of your work is with the indigenous people of Colombia. What would you recommend that listeners and travelers who want to learn more about Colombia's indigenous populations do? Some may want to travel there, some may want to just learn. Where should they start? There is uh, an amazing writer I love. He's an anthropologist and ethnobotanist. His name is Wade Davis. He wrote One River Book. That's a great way to start. And also watching his talks, he's got several on TED. I consider he has very well translated what indigenous communities try to say to the world. He traveled this country in the 70s. So it was a completely different reality back then. I believe his descriptions are very different from what we find nowadays, although culture still survives. It's like accessing a different world. And for those who want to travel, I really recommend to go with agencies that have a friendship relation with these indigenous communities. Because one thing they don't like is feeling like strangers come, they just come and go, they take pictures, they want to see them dance, they want to look like they did something good because they visited a community and that's it. You know, the, the main wish they have is to create this bond and they want you to feel like family and they want to, to be your hosts and to tell you what matters for them. And they also want to know who you are, where do you come from, how's it like where you live. Just try to take into account these very basic but human questions. Just be yourself when you're with them and be open-minded because they do use a lot of different medicine plants that are sacred for them. One of them is coca leaf and many people get surprised by that, but that's a very important thing to say. Coca leaf is completely different from cocaine and coca leaf is a sacred plant for them, which actually has the role of sweetening the word and your thoughts 
for having good conversations so and connecting to their ancestors and spirits. So just be open-minded and hopefully try to look for, yeah, for someone who's close to them because your experience will be completely different if you go with someone that knows them. Because they've had this history of abuses, of people who come and promise some things or projects and in the end they feel well, they don't do what they promised so they feel disappointed. There's a, a matter of trust with indigenous communities that needs to be taken into account. And that's why it's much better to go with someone who can also do the cross-cultural translation because it's not only in terms of language, but it's also in terms of kind of world each one of us has in our heads and how can they be connected. But you need context for that. These are advices in case you want to have a genuine experience with them and really bring back this kind of wisdom with you that's actually a privilege to have taken into account that elders are dying and these are oral traditions that are in danger. This is a privilege in this point of human history. So having these kind of conversations can be very fulfilling and can also give you tools to go back and help others in your own place, but just try to do it as humane and as respectful as possible. Finally, how can listeners get in touch with you and the Inspire project which you run? Since it's only emerging right now, you can contact me through my email. It's Lorena Gomez, R-A-M-1 at gmail.com. I'm going to say it again. Lorena Gomez with Z, R-A-M-1 at gmail.com or on Instagram at Lorena Gom Z without the E. You can contact me there and I'll for sure answer any questions and requests. Ideal. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us on Travel and Purpose. You can find more Travel and Purpose podcasts at travelandpurpose.com. You can find a platform for social action and travel content at catalyst.cm. If you have your own Travel and Purpose stories to share and feel your story would be right for our Travel and Purpose podcast, let us know by emailing info at catalyst.cm and we might invite you on for one of our next conversations.